0: This week on Launch Stories,
1: UIPath just came to the mark at the perfect time with a newer product that some of the other competitors at the right time when the demand started surging, and and that rounded up with a with an execution as close to perfection as I've ever seen, just brought the the amazing success.
0: Welcome to Launch Stories, the global startup podcast. I'm your host, Zoltan Vardi. The Launch Stories podcast gives you a taste of what it takes to launch a global startup. Listen to founders share their personal ups and downs, their professional wins and losses, and the lessons they've learned along the way to building an international company. You'll also hear from accelerators and investors that support entrepreneurs along their journey around the world and what they think is the recipe for startup success. So join me on Launch Stories Get inspired and learn the ingredients of a successful global business. My guest today is Andre Bartosz. Andre is co founder and general partner of Credo Ventures, a venture capital firm based in the Czech Republic that focuses on early stage investments in Central Europe. Andre was a pioneer in Central Europe's emerging startup scene in the early 2000s, first by organizing startup networking events, and later with the launch of Credo in 2009. His role as a trendsetter culminated this past February, when Credo's portfolio company, Romanian tech startup UiPath, went public on the New York Stock Exchange at a staggering $35 billion valuation. I'll be talking to Andre today about how Central and Eastern Europe's startup ecosystem has evolved over the past two decades and what it took to find and make a seed investment in the most financially successful startup ever to come out of this region. Let's listen to his launch story. Welcome, Andre, thanks so much for joining me.
1: Hi, Zoltan, thanks for having me.
0: So this has been an amazing and uh, remarkable year for you guys. Tell me, what were you thinking in February of this year when you experienced the the, the fact that UiPath had gone public?
1: I was happy, it felt good, not gonna lie, I think, so the interesting part of being a VC investor is that you actually sort of actively work with the startups in your portfolio and also you're trying to find the new amazing startups. So from the perspective of uh, an ordinary course of business, it did not change much, right? We were still working on all this.
0: Doing the day-to-day grind of listening to pitches and making decisions and...
1: Exactly. So nothing changed there much, except UiPath already didn't need me much. That was not like since this April or February, that's been for the past two years already or something.
0: I see. Well, listen, we'll get to- into the UiPath story in a moment because it is such an unusual and fascinating story um, but before we do i want to take a step back a little bit in history and ask you about the early days of the tech startup scene in central europe um, what do you remember from those days i believe you were launching kind of networking events in the czech republic and slovakia uh, and how does your experience from back then inform your view of the startup ecosystem of the region as it is today
1: i am fully aware of the fact that i'm kind of a Dinosaur <laughs> of the tech uh, startup world in in Central Europe. I started running networking events for startups and investors and people around um, in 1999, which means that I already sort of experienced the first dot com bubble and it was an amazing time actually <laughs> yeah as much as I'm aware of all the bad and ugly and nasty about it what I remember was that it was it was actually a pretty exciting time to be there in in the startup world I also remember that startups were not a thing in Central Europe
0: in fact they were called internet companies I mean I have, that happened to have been my first for entrepreneurial experience as well they were internet companies because the internet was sort of the The platform, right?
1: They were called internet companies or or dot-com companies. Some people tried using the term new economy, which... Kind of failed because many others argued that there was no new economy. It was still the good old economy just on the internet. It was very different. When I entered the startup world, it was new, it was niche, it was it an was unknown sort of mass market, which was both good and bad, right? The bad, the downside of it was that not too many people understood what I was doing and you know what kind of business I was a part of.
0: Did your family say, when are you going to get a real job?
1: my family never told me what to do or what not to do but i i'm, I'm pretty positive they didn't know what i was doing <laughs> i i was telling them that i worked in in an office <laughs> <laughs> with a computer, and and that was the extent. That was the extent of their um, knowledge um, about what I did.
0: And I think in your bio, you actually say that you realized relatively early on you didn't have what it takes to make truly successful entrepreneurs. So you became a consultant and an angel investor. What was your thinking there? Did you make an attempt at launching your own business?
1: I started my first company in '96. So so that was that was really really early days. But that was not. An internet company. I, I studied business. I launched a consulting company and conference organizing company back in 96, which was sort of mediocre success. It paid the bills. Um, it meant that me as a student, I had always a bit more money than, right. than the other students in college, but there was nothing groundbreaking. Then I was together with three co-founders. We started the first internet company or software company in 1998. So yeah, I did have the entrepreneur slash founder experience but what i meant when i said that i discovered that i did not have what was needed that's because i realized that i didn't like company building and people management you know whenever my companies grew to the size of like 15 people i already started to be sick of it and uh dealing with all the day-to-day hassle i wanted out So I was not suited to be an entrepreneur of the year. I was also not suited to be a corporate guy, not enjoying the people management or management in general. Yeah, so I turned a consultant and I guess event organizer with, Mm -hmm. with the startup networking
0: events. How many people would show up at these events back then? When we started,
1: we had around 70, 80 people coming. Then it grew throughout... I don't know, 2001, 2002, we had up to 400, 450 in Prague. And we had a bit smaller events in Brno, second largest city in the Czech Republic. So it was a community of a couple of thousand people by, say, 2003, 2004.
0: Well, well, certainly it's an interesting uh, comparison now. You have what seems like uh, some sort of startup or tech conference every week somewhere in Europe with thousands and thousands of people attending and speaking and taking part. So you can even see the evolution of the entire startup ecosystem through through that change. That is right. Where do you see the the current environment for startups uh, in Central and Eastern Europe as we sit here today, looking at it from the founder perspective and then the investor perspective?
1: The whole ecosystem has evolved tremendously. And... And again, it has a good um, has a good side to it. It has a bad side, right? The good part is that I don't think there has ever been a better time for for founders, for entrepreneurs, to to raise capital. There's a lot of money out there in the market. You know, startups now are a lot more better known out there you know everybody and they're and they're sexy they're attractive working in a startup no longer is a you know niche unknown or even a weird thing it's now pretty cool thing actually to be in startups but again, the bad thing is actually very similar. Sometimes what I see out there in the, in the market is that some people just want to do startups because they're cool and because yeah. they want to be a part of this sexy thing without necessarily having the substance, the the, the, the competence and not always people fully understand what it means to start a startup or, or do the startup thing. For many people, it's more the, the lifestyle and you know yeah. being hip and cool rather than you know work really hard
0: i say that all the time when i speak to my own clients and, and just generally to people who are not necessarily in the depths of the startup environment is it, it is a case of the tip of the iceberg right i mean what you see on the cover of forbes is literally just the top five percent of what actually goes on in order to generate a business that deserves to be on the cover of forbes the other 95 percent is a ton of hard work and uncertainty and difficult decisions and a bit of luck um, to get you to that point.
1: Yeah. So, and many people don't quite get it and I don't want to sound too old. It's not necessarily (laughs) a bad thing. Technologies are super exciting and there are amazing things that can be done with technologies. And there are still, I truly believe it. There are still amazing technologies to be built, but will everybody in startups get rich or famous or successful? Definitely not. Most of them will ultimately fail and go to corporate world or turn their business into a lifestyle profit-making or moderate profit-making companies. And that's okay. Only the really most amazing, lucky, outstanding founders will build something
0: big. I mean, given that there's such a huge failure rate for startups, what do you think are the particularly disadvantages of maybe building a startup in this part of the world, in Central and Eastern Europe? And what are some of the advantages, potentially, of doing so?
1: Disadvantages, I guess, lie mainly um, in sort of the the cultural context of of central or central and eastern Europe, in which historically we have never favored risk taking and the society usually tended not to tolerate failures and stuff. So it's almost like counterintuitive to to go into startups into something that has such high risk of of failure but there are also you know many advantages and again i feel i hope it does not come out as a cliche but but i truly believe that uh people in central and eastern europe are very creative and innovative and they also have this talent for improvisation i feel like so i feel like in central europe there's a lot of talent and also the educational system and the schools here i feel like um are very good uh, mainly the the technical ones which then leads to the fact that i believe we have great engineers great programmers which means that we're a very good uh, region to to start good technology companies in
0: would you agree that in general companies that come out of Central and Eastern Europe are stronger, technically founded companies and less market focused companies or sales and marketing driven companies?
1: Yeah. I mean, it, it is a generalization and every generalization is, um, is not uh, fully accurate, but as a generalization, I would, I would tend to agree. Yes.
0: So how do you as an investor deal with that? How do you, how do you manage that situation where you are facing companies or, or potential investments that are strong technically, but don't, necessarily have the necessary sales and marketing skill on board in order to, um, to achieve the success that you as an investor would expect?
1: I think, so we're, we're trying to take it as a sort of a base, a, a fact, and work with it and try to use it as an advantage. So we are believers in, in substance. We believe that technical expertise and, and solid products and tech should, should ultimately win in, in the market globally. And what we do with uh, with our um, startups in our in our portfolio is we try helping them in the sales and marketing competence and in the in the sort of go to market set of skills. Very often, where we start after we invest is helping out the founding team which is usually technical um, to hire first sales and marketing roles look for the first you know head of sales or chief revenue officer look for sort of the head marketer CMO or whatever you call it again and not only helping them to find those roles but uh, but also sort of explain them how those roles are, important and complementary to what they do because again as a generalization of of sort technical founders sometimes don't understand that right sometimes they feel like a, a solid product will sell itself which usually is not the case but yeah so we take it as it is and we're trying to help
0: Well, certainly, uh, two technical founders who understood the importance of building a a market driven business are Daniel Dinesh and uh, Mario Stirka, the co founders of UiPath. And I just want to talk a little bit about that and particularly. Um, Credo's role in the amazing success that UiPath has experienced. Before I do, though, I want to share some basic information about the company's history and some statistics for those of our listeners who might not be familiar with the company's uh, background. The predecessor to UiPath, a company called Deskover, was founded in 2005 in Bucharest, Romania, as a tech outsourcing company, as a service business by Romanian entrepreneurs Daniel Dinesh and, and Mario Styrka. The company released its sort of first product line in 2013, uh, which was based on providing companies with robotic process automation tools, also known as RPA tools, to automate basically manual and repetitive back office tasks, anything from ordering business cards to managing accounts receivable. In 2015 was when the company actually changed its name to UiPath and received a $1.6 million seed funding from Early Bird Venture Capital from Credo Ventures, your firm, and Seedcamp and began, I think what's fair enough to call an explosive growth trajectory. And just to give you a sense of just what that means. So after that $1.6 million seed investment, over the course of three years, through five funding rounds, the company's valuation grew from $110 million to $10.2 billion and ultimately culminated in the... uh, initial public offering this February at a valuation of $35 billion. So in five and a half years, it went from $1.6 million investment at a 10, 15, $20 million valuation to a $2 billion funding at a $35 billion valuation, which is just astronomical. Um, Business-wise, the company moved its headquarters to New York City in 2017. Uh, It was ranked the number two in uh, financial times is ft1000 ranking of america's fastest growing companies in 2020 and today the company has 3,000 employees uh, working in a skyscraper in park avenue in new york and has revenues of about 600 million dollars so all that means to me that you guys made an amazing find and were able to follow what is clearly a very unusual growth path for a company out of central and eastern europe tell us how you Discovered UiPath, which at the time was something, had I believe something like 10 or 15 employees and less than a million dollars in revenue. Paint a picture here. Pretend Steven Spielberg wants to do the, the uh, story of the founding of UiPath. What do I see? What's that first meeting like with the founders? What happens there in that, in that first communication with them?
1: You just got me thinking about who would be an actor to play me in that movie, but
0: <laughs> well, let's
1: try to uh, step aside. So listen, I mean, so first I heard about UiPath in December 2014 from, from a friend of mine, um, an investor in, in Romania, Dan at, at Early Bird, who actually found the UiPath and he made the intro First, I spoke to Daniel on Google Meet because I think Zoom did not exist back then, <laughs> right. and that was uh, that was January 2015. In a sense, it was it felt like a like a very usual Central and Eastern European story in terms of you know Daniel was was very technical. He was an engineer himself. He actually you know was the one to write the code at the beginning right and and before that he was a he was an engineer in in microsoft before they started desk over and
0: and hustle well he actually he, he actually worked for microsoft in the states i believe right for about five years i think before and he moved back to Romania.
1: he was in the u.s he was in redmond and then got back to romania did the desk over thing which was a pure hustle, you know, Eastern European hustle, a software house doing whatever they could do and sell, as DKS and stuff, scraping, and then, you know, eventually sort of discovered the software robots or, you know, the automation via software robots what was different it it felt like like a pretty usual story in terms of a very technical founder with a very deep understanding of the space and intimate knowledge of the of the product and tech what was what was a bit unusual was how strategic he was already back then about the whole market what was unusual was how great his vision and and his ambition was i just really liked the conversation i I really liked the guy i i knew he was definitely um someone i could back i just needed to sort of double check on the market and the opportunity it was the first time i heard about something called rpa so i guess i i spent the following couple of weeks uh, trying to sort of validate what what Daniel was talking about, get more comfortable with the whole sort of opportunity, size of the opportunity. In 2015, the RPA market was tiny. And although some of the research firms predicted growth, I don't think anybody predicted um, that much growth. And also, it was actually before we clearly could see the path to sort of ai and before we we discovered that that rpa was actually a very elegant way how to how to get you know ai or first elements of ai into into
0: enterprise and andre how close were you to walking away from that investment
1: it's really
0: difficult to
1: tell in retrospect even if i were i am not sure i would i would tell you that i that i was um
0: <laughs> okay well that says something
1: but trying no but trying to be really open here i really liked it from the from the very beginning and uh and all the diligence that we did in the winter and, and spring 2015, I think kept sort of validating that this is something that's very, very interesting.
0: So Andre, you made the investment in summer of 2015. And so less than two years later, um, which isn't that long of a time, you the company gets a 30 million dollar investment from uh, XL partners, and I guess US seed investors join that. And then it begins this unbelievable growth path literally it seems like every six months there's a new founding at a you know astronomical growth in in valuation what do you see at that period of time that that following two and a half three years what what is driving this unbelievable growth in valuation
1: i think there are many elements and it's it's kind of superficial to sort of limit it to just a bunch of things It, it was some people would call a perfect storm or you know stars alignment, but if you ask me, I I believe there were three big elements behind the the, the success story. One was definitely the founders, like a perfect combo of you know Danielle and Mario's, and especially Danielle, just uh, proved to be an absolutely outstanding founder and CEO who. I've seen grow so damn much in the past six years. That is unbelievable. Not, you know, I don't know many other people, probably I, I don't know any other people who, who would be capable of, of, of such growth, personal growth. The second was the market, which just started demand for RPA, for, for this kind of automation just surged amazingly and the third one that's very much connected the second one would be timing just uipath was so damn well timed to the market which you know to a certain extent was was a matter of luck uipath was not the first one in the market doing rpa that would have been blue Prism out of the uk but UiPath just came to the mark at the perfect time with a newer product that some of the other competitors at the right time when the demand started surging. And and that rounded up with a with an execution as close to perfection as I've ever seen. Just brought the mm-hmm. the amazing success.
0: So the right product at the right time in the right market with the right founders. That's the formula for a unicorn. You said it. It's easy, right? <laughs> sounds sounds uh, sounds pretty easy to me. Exactly. When you look back um, at UiPath, obviously it's an amazing success. One of many investments you've made. So it's not just obviously your only successful investment. In fact, the reason you and I know each other, because we co-invested into a company called Brainiant right around, uh, I think it was in 2011, I believe also a Romanian startup uh, that uh, that had a successful exit. What's next for you guys? I mean, obviously with UiPath behind you, I'm sure your reputation in the industry has skyrocketed. What does it mean for you as a fund? And what does it mean in terms of your evaluation of future opportunities? Are you only looking for billion-dollar opportunities at this stage? Hmm,
1: All good questions. So, I mean, to start with, I would not necessarily say that our reputation has skyrocketed right it's still we're a we're 10 year or 11 years old uh venture firm in a in a remote uh geography of of central europe and you know we we've had an amazing success and hopefully a couple more still coming but it's not like you know we became You know, with the with UiPaths IPO, we became a sequoia. That's not Mm -hmm. what happened. What has changed, I think, is when when we started and when we started going to to Silicon Valley or or to the UK, talk with other VCs and and corporates, I feel like nobody took us too seriously, right? Well, first of all, we were Mm small new unknown um and second of all we came from central europe which was not a thing 10 years ago right this has been significantly changing um and one of the reasons is is uipath but not only uipath you take a look at central and eastern europe there have been good success stories pretty much all across, right? There's the, you know, Infobip story in, in Croatia. There are Rimac in, in Croatia and you know, LogMeIn in Hungary and, and Avast in the Czech Republic and so forth. So there has been more and more going on in, in our region. And then also, you know, in particular, the UiPath story. Led to the fact that other VCs in Silicon Valley and other sort of startup centers um, globally um, started taking us more seriously.
0: Good. Well, listen. I, I uh, hope you guys uh, can take advantage of that in the uh, the coming uh, months and years as you look to uh, continue to build uh, Credo Ventures as uh, one of the leading venture capital firms, uh, not just in Central Europe, but hopefully in Europe uh, in the future as well. So uh, I want to thank you, Andre, for your time. Thank you, Zoltan. Thanks everyone for joining me on Line Stories, the global startup podcast. I hope you got inspired and learned some ingredients of a successful global business. If you like what you heard, please subscribe, leave a review, and share it with your friends.